It was like being inside joy. As if joy was something tangible and you could wrap yourself up in it like a blanket. And never in my entire life have I ever been as content. And then you were beamed away from that. Pulled. Ripped away. None of us wanted to go. I would have done anything, anything to get back there. Hello everyone, that was a clip from the 1994 film Star Trek Generations, where Whoopi Goldberg's character explains to Captain Jean-Luc Picard about a thing called the Nexus. When I heard this description as an 11 year old, to me it sounded like deep sleep. Being wrapped in a physical and metaphorical blanket you don't want to emerge from, only to be ripped out by the sound of the alarm clock. It probably didn't help that I was having to get up to go to school at that time. If I read through the comments of the YouTube video I took this clip from, I'm not alone in this. The three things people relate this to are drugs, sleep, and meditation experiences. We'll leave drugs aside for today, as I'd like to focus on this connection between meditation and deep sleep. This might sound like a contradiction with these two being the antipodes of each other. Meditation is associated with awakening, coming more into the senses, not losing consciousness the way we do in sleep. Allow me to try and resolve this. When I first became interested in meditation, I had no idea what it was. This was back when the internet was in its infancy, and you still had to acquire books to learn about things. The idea of shifting consciousness intrigued me, and I was sure meditation had something to do with that. I felt like my inner world was an unexplored terrain. Until recently it hadn't even occurred to me to turn my attention inwards, and I certainly assumed meditation would be a vehicle for doing that. I had noticed that there seemed to be deeper levels of mind that contained a heightened capacity for creative insight, which I was keen to get to know. When the book I ordered arrived, I was surprised to find it made no mention of such things. The author explained that meditation was all about bringing one's attention out of one's head and into the world, then attempting to hold it there. I understood the underlying logic. Our thoughts consume our focus and we need to break free of this constant cognitive chatter. Having experienced taste of this freedom, I was looking to recapture it. This, however, seemed like a rather arduous and unnatural approach, one which required constant effort to maintain. My own glimpses of such freedom were overwhelmingly characterized by effortlessness. Initially, I attempted to follow my intuition, ignoring the instructions from the book. I would drop my awareness back, attempting to get as close as I could to the border between wakefulness and sleep. I had some very interesting experiences of entering a dreamlike state of consciousness, where creativity and symbolic imagery would arise. The meditation would always end the same way, however, with me actually falling asleep. I also noticed no lasting benefits to this practice. I didn't feel any more enlightened or in the moment for the rest of the day. In the same way, we don't carry the relaxation of deep sleep into our waking day. Stress can set in within two seconds of opening our eyes. 
After a while, I relented and went with what the book recommended. Standard stuff, I would sit and bring my awareness to my breath, replacing it there every time it fell away. Initially, I was still cynical of this approach, but my reticence eroded after reading Eckhart Tolle's famous book, The Power of Now. Tolle described an awakening experience I could relate to. I felt I'd experienced a shorter version of what had happened to him. He also advocated a kind of mindfulness as a path to get back there. And so I bought in, hook, line and sinker. I would meditate three times a day for what started out at 20 minutes a session. The rest of the day I lived as a constant mindfulness exercise, where I attempted to be continuously aware of my bodily sensations. I had a job in a mailroom at the time, putting letters in envelopes all day, which I felt was a perfect mindfulness practice. I carried this out fairly intensely for about two years before my doubts resurfaced. I'm sure I benefited from this practice, but certainly not in a way that was proportional to the effort I was putting in. I noticed other people, who didn't do any of this stuff, often seemed more at ease and in the moment than I was. So what on earth was I doing it all for? I also started to once again question the fundamental logic of the practice. I'm supposed to be accepting of this moment as it is, and yet really I'm always trying to change it into a better moment, where I'll be more present, awake and conscious. I'm attempting to realise that my individual sense of self is an illusion, and yet my individual sense of self is hard at work trying to achieve this. It all seemed contradictory. I'll skip over some elements of my spiritual biography to stick with the parts relevant to meditation. Fast forwarding another year then, I was still meditating before going to work, although I wasn't really sure why. One morning, after a particularly poor night's sleep, I kept dozing off during the practice. I decided I'd be better served by just using the time to take a nap. A funny thing happened. Without trying, I entered a state where I was sort of awake and asleep at the same time. Thoughts would arise and I would momentarily identify with them. Then I would have the realisation that they weren't me. I seemed to be the spaciousness in which they arose. This was an amazing feeling of liberation. Total freedom from being my thoughts. At some point I would tip over into full-on sleep. As with my early experiences of meditation, I detected few lasting benefits from this experience during the rest of the day. I wasn't more relaxed or de-stressed or anything like that. At this point, meditation appeared to me as two different things. I could extend my attention forwards, focusing on the world around me, giving me a wakeful yet superficial experience. Alternatively, I could sink back within, allowing a deep and often profound experience to arise, but one that would invariably end in a loss of consciousness with no lasting effects. Fast forwarding around five years, I was involved with a group run by spirituality teacher Tim Freak. I hadn't really intended on joining a group, but I noticed I was having deeper meditative experiences there than I could achieve on my own. I wanted to know why this was, as I didn't accept it was simply a group effect, real a phenomenon as that no doubt is. Tim drew on sleep and dreaming as ways to explain meditation. I'll play a clip now from an interview published in 2010 by Conscious TV. It's the part that really made the penny drop for me. Interviewer Ian McNay is asking Tim about meditation. 
So for me, the breath, which is the most obvious and basic of meditation techniques, is the most powerful. Because there is something so delicious about breathing, so sensual, that just to come into the moment with the breath as it comes in and out, it's such a delight, that feeling, and to relax the body into it. It's just such a relief. Ah, oh, breath. And from that, there's a certain stillness. Now, it doesn't mean, see, whether the mind stops or not, to me, is not the issue. Now, the mind's fine. The mind's not an enemy. I spent years thinking it was, but it really isn't. The mind is a great thing. We're using it now. So you let your mind still do its thing. The mind thing. does its thing. The body does its thing. You know, yeah. everything just... But what, I, what I'm becoming... What you're doing, what, what for me, in its deepest sense in meditation, is you're becoming conscious that you are conscious. So rather than paying attention to your experience, you turn attention back on itself. So you're conscious of the experiencer. What is awareness? What is it that, what is it that's witnessing this moment? And, and it's like sinking into this huge ocean of awareness. And the more, this is still going on, but it's, uh, it's not where my attention is now. It's happening. There's thoughts. Now, the stillness is important because if the thoughts are very agitated, it's very hard not to pay them attention. It's like if you're in pain. It's very hard not to pay it attention. But if you can just let it be, there's this big oceanic, spacious presence that we are which opens up and and it's actually one way of seeing it is it's very much like entering the state we go to in deep sleep but consciously it's like deep sleep is our very being that's what we are we are this big awareness but it's unconscious in deep sleep in meditation you're entering that same beautiful you know what it's like when you wake up in the morning and you're refreshed and so, you know, you kind of remember it, don't you? Just that kind of, ooh, that was nice, that felt so good, and everything was relaxed. And, but you, you weren't conscious at the time. In meditation, you're diving back into that big space, but consciously. Now, of course, the danger is, the most obvious thing to happen is you actually fall asleep. And anyone who's meditated will know that you're, you're just, oh, you're gone. <laughs> you're, oh. So you need something to keep you conscious. And what, what, what the breath does is it just keeps you here. You know, I'm conscious, I'm with my breath, I'm not asleep, but I'm conscious of that big oneness, which I enter unconsciously in deep sleep. And that's why I call it being deep awake. And meditation will, will allow you to do that. As I said, this interview really allowed the penny to drop for me. I realized that what I was looking for lay in a juxtaposition of the two approaches. The breath acts as an anchor that holds us awake and in the world so that we may, at the same time, dissolve back within. It's as if you wish to descend into a dark cave. It's first necessary to tie a rope to something solid on the outside, else you'll get lost. Just ask Plato. Meditation could be described then as a movement of awareness in two opposing directions at once. Seeing this allowed me to capture a much deeper experience and embody that experience in the world. Tim explored this theme of deep sleep on a philosophical level in various books. He's subsequently gone through a period of reimagining a lot of the philosophical underpinnings of his work, so he probably wouldn't explain things this way today, but I'll take some quotes from In the Light of Death as an example of his idealist, or consciousness-only, thought at the time. He quotes the Sufi poet Rumi as saying, the bliss of deep sleep is a free sample of the awareness enjoyed by the mystics when they are wide awake. He then goes on to explain, 
In deep sleep, we experience nothing, but we vaguely remember this state afterwards as a blissful emptiness or oneness in which we do not exist as a person at all. When we become aware of our essential identity in the waking state, we are consciously aware of this blissful emptiness or oneness. For most of us, the bliss of deep sleep is something that dissipates each morning. The enlightened sages, however, never leave the blissful awareness of the emptiness of pure consciousness, even when they are also aware of appearing to be a body living in the world. They are consciously aware of the mysterious oneness of the dazzling darkness, which we enter unconsciously during deep sleep. I remember the moment of revelation when it finally dawned on me how simple what the saints and sages are really saying is. The state of awareness that I think of as deep sleep is the oneness of big mind, the mysterious source of all, our shared, essential being. Every night when I go to sleep, I dissolve back into the one. The problem is, I do this unconsciously. The goal of spiritual awakening is to do this consciously by becoming aware that I am also in the deep sleep state while I am awake, because the dazzling darkness is the permanent background of all I experience. And now back to me speaking. Tim would talk about the sleep state as a way of explaining and guiding meditations. I'll play an example from one he recorded several years later. For our purposes, as we're not meditating and just want the information, I've cut out the long pauses he leaves between statements. I am conscious that I am the formless presence of awareness, a spacious presence within which all my experiences are arising in this moment, like a dream arises. And now I'm sinking my attention deep into that presence. And I invite you to do so also. I am consciously merging into the presence I unconsciously sink into in deep sleep. But I am alert and conscious now. And as I do so, there is a oceanic feeling of oneness because the formless presence has no boundaries so that my being is one with all being. I am left feeling that Tim did not push the implications of this insight quite as far as they could go. If the deep sleep state literally is the consciousness we are seeking in meditation, the meditation literally is the act of falling asleep, with the caveat that we must remain wide awake at the same time. It could be said that this isn't really sleep, as sleep implies a loss of consciousness. I would agree, but contend that the act of dissolution is exactly the same. When we dissolve and lose consciousness, we fall asleep. When we maintain consciousness, we have a kind of awakening to a deeper self. The handy thing about describing this process as simply falling asleep is just that. It's simple. We take a complex mystical concept like dissolution of the self and turn it into something so common and mundane that everybody does it every day. If the mystical experience is rooted in something as simple as falling asleep, then anyone can do it, and do it to a great degree of depth. 
Okay, are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Here comes the sales pitch. I've created a meditation which takes the listener step by step through this process, this literal application. I'm pretty sure you could figure it out for yourself, but it's probably handy enough to have a guiding audio too. Along with this, I will link to Tim's relevant writings and meditations in the info box. Thank you for listening. At some point, I'll follow this up with an episode on the implications of accessing this deep conscious state for creativity, healing, communication, and shifting one's perceptions. In the beginning, there was a non-existent Nazi. In the beginning, there was a non-existent Nazis.